And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United, and here we are recording shortly after 10 pm on Sunday evening. Thank you, Laurie. Uh, after Manchester United's 2 all draw. With Tottenham Hotspur, sorry, that was a private joke we were going to record about an hour ago. But someone's just got home from the match because they were filing their report from the car park at Old Trafford. That is the dedication that that man has to his craft. Lawrence James Whitwell, you'll know him well. Andy Mitten's here as well. Carl Anker is too. We're going to go through that 2 all draw for Manchester United, which... Doesn't do much for Manchester United's season, but there was an interested onlooker in Sir Jim Radcliffe, uh, who was at Old Trafford for the first time since Ineos' investment in United was announced before Christmas. We'll talk about meeting him for the first time. Um, so there's still plenty to get through. Laurie, like I said, you were there. You were in the car park after, um, revealing <laughs> everything about our meeting with Sir Jim. What did you make of it? Just explain the circumstance if you can. Ratcliffe's first game since Ineos have been confirmed as having 25% of the club so we kind of anticipated that he would show up um, and you know, Sir David Brailsford's been there but this is now, you know, he's, he's the main man, isn't he? Everyone knew that he was going to be there but then there was a, a sort of message put out to uh, people that cover the club to say, actually, uh, Ratcliffe's going to speak to you guys. Um, he's going to a little bit informal, um, but he wants to say hello. He wants to, you know, let you to know. Wants to let you know that he feels that you know having good communication is important. But it's not going to be any more than that because the ratification is still to come. So he's not going to get into any details. But I think it was refreshing. I don't know. You, you were in there as well, Ian, and I found it. You know, this guy is, is the top dog at Manchester United now in terms of the football operation, and he's there sort of speaking to us. You know, it was only five minutes. He kind of came in and sort of started the conversation by saying how excited he was looking forward to the game and you know United usually do well against Spurs um, it wasn't quite lads it's Tottenham but it was sort of on that theme I suppose and then obviously people just started throwing questions out you know I think I asked him um, if he'd spoken to Ten Hag or the players yet and he said it wasn't appropriate to, to speak to the players just yet because they're not you know fully confirmed um, and then the, I think the interesting detail was the fact that he said he's looking at early Feb mid Feb for the ratification to come through and then at that point he can be more open with us and he sort of threw it forward to that point three or four weeks from now where he wants to be able to answer questions, which I took as extremely refreshing, given we've had you know 19 years of the Glazers, where Joel Glazer gave an interview to MUTV at the very start, saying he wanted communication with fans and promptly did no such thing. And actually having that kind of first-hand account with somebody, you can get to know them a bit more, scrutinise them, ask them questions off offhand that he wasn't prepared and it wasn't a script that he was looking at beforehand saying right I'll take that question I'll take that question it was you know just off the cuff kind of stuff and yeah obviously couldn't really say too much but I think it gave us a flavour of the kind of uh, sort of tenureship that he wants at the club Andy and Carla here as well you weren't at Old Trafford today but I'm sure you've seen some of the quotes going around from uh, Jim Radcliffe he said that he's done a few exciting things in his career but this caps it all 
which was a, a very interesting detail. He, he sort of started the, the little meet and greet by saying that he was extremely excited to be there. He'd gone to his first Manchester United game as a 10-year-old, uh, something like that. He's obviously 70-odd now, his favourite player. He was prompted, to rem- reminded to say he's Eric Cantona, because uh, of course we've got that link with the trawler's uh, name being used in, in the company and so on. But Andy, what did you make of him addressing even the media in that way. By the sound of it, he's tried to get around as many people as possible before the game today against Tottenham at Old Trafford to get a flavour of things and also say hello. I mean, it's setting off on the right foot at least, isn't it? Absolutely. The bar was set extremely low with the Glazers, as Laurie said. So just for him to go in, to speak to journalists, to write letters to fan groups is a big improvement on what we've seen since 2005. And is learning by the mistakes of the Glazers, whose communication was so frustratingly bad that it became a major issue for Manchester United fans. The results will always set the mood. There will be some impatient United fans a week after he has got in and the deal's been signed and why have we not won 4-0 today? I thought you are supposed to make things even better. You, I think a lot of patience will be needed. But the fact that he's a local lad going in there, the backstory is a decent one. You can see the sort of kiddish enthusiasm that he has. And why wouldn't you have that? This is football manager for real. I just hope he doesn't do what Todd Bowley did at Chelsea, where obviously Jim was a season ticket holder there as well, and start messing things up. I think he's needs to be, and I think he will be, bright enough to put smart people in the right positions rather than Sir Jim Ratcliffe going, yeah, fancy him from wherever. Or, you know, my son, you know, my son's been a really keen football manager player um, and, and he's saying that we should be buying this player from, from wherever. It's good. And I think he's got to ride the enthusiasm. Maybe enthusiasm is too strong a word of the fans, but benefit from not being one of the Glazers early on. I didn't expect him to do a Michael Knighton and to run onto the pitch juggling the ball and putting it into the Stretford end. But I'm pretty pleased. You know, we knew in advance today that he was going to go and speak to to journalists and and as Laurie said, them journalists will have to scrutinise him. Um, But... I think it's encouraging. Yeah, there was handshakes and a few selfies in the director's box for Jim Ratcliffe, Carl. It, it wasn't quite a hero's welcome as such. And there was still chance in the stands during the game uh, against the Glazers, stand up if you hate the Glazers, etc., etc. Um, it hasn't changed the mood completely, certainly. And it's definitely not changed the football just yet. But what have you made of um, Sir Jim's first sighting at Old Trafford? He's doing the, the small things well. Right, uh, like Andy says, he's the bar is very, very low compared to the Glazers, and he's recognised that and gone. How do I differentiate myself from the previous ownership? Talking, um, and even if he's not saying the most enlightening things, as Laurie said, I think there's one question that Dan Sheldon asked him, which was, "What was your first impression of Carrington?" And he uh, and uh, Sir Jim Reckler's response is a classic politician's one. That's a really good question. I can't really answer it now, but I'll get to you in a little bit. The fact he didn't answer it knows exactly what he thinks of it, by the way, as well. <laughs> I felt that was a sign that he'd seen some stuff that he was like, okay, yeah, I will I will tell you about it yeah. when I officially Yeah, I believe can. he's got this. Yeah. There's a clause somewhere in the, in the paperwork that means he can't pass comment on certain things until everything is ratified and it's his in air quotes. So he was never going to be able to answer that question. But the manner in which he did that... Um, very Obama-esque, let me be clear, 
and then quickly moves on. I'm like, okay, fine, we're doing this. Is there a hope like poster then, Carl? <laughs> if it's Obama, I'm sure, sort of I'm style. sure there's going to be a hope poster <laughs> knocked up somewhere because there's a huge appetite for change among the Man United fan base, not Definitely. just with Sir Jim Radcliffe, but also on what's going on tactically on the field, also what's going on in the transfer market. Everyone wants something new or different from what's going on. And so Jim Radcliffe's thing right now is to make sure he is the avatar for that change and he will he wants everyone to view him as the instrument to bring that change. So if a number of football fans are coming up to him in the director's box and ask for a selfie, he's going to take that selfie. Um, he's going to be very, very good at taking credit for, for good things that go on between now and when this deal is ratified. And any failures are going to be quickly pushed on to the previous setup, I believe. So... He's doing a good job, but also the job right now is to make you think he's doing a good job. Yeah, and I suppose final point on this, Laurie, what did you make of him as a person and the the way he came across in the room? I mean, he seemed more unassuming than I'd expect a a quite high-profile billionaire to be. Looked at the floor a lot when he was addressing the room and just tried to make it all quite casual, really, which I thought was an interesting approach. Yeah, I mean, I suppose he kind of carries himself with the calmness and um sort of relaxed uh presence of somebody with a lot of money you know he, he doesn't he doesn't have to charm us necessarily he kind of it, by just being there it, that's charm in itself i suppose um you know he, he kind of he's not like dressed up in a you know really uh, sharp suit where he's got like a tie up to his neck and a, and a, and a uh, pocket square where else are you doing a tie up to <laughs> Uh, by the way, that was the communication officer's uh, approach to um, his first he trip. He looked great, by the way. Well, well, looked I like was Mr. Thinking, Monopoly. Well, I thought he looked like um, Wagstaff from uh, Billions. You know, speaking of the only other sort of rich people I've seen in in, in he, know, he looked the richest life, man in the room. But, yeah. Well, yeah, he he, he looked he just great. didn't have a cane. Um, that was all that was missing, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that was kind of interesting, and I, I, I guess. That's what you want. I, I don't know. You don't want someone that's going to try too hard to, to you know, please like me. He's kind of coming in and saying, this is what I think. And I mean, it was interesting that he couldn't really nail down the last time he was at Old Trafford. He sort of said, oh, a few years ago and didn't really say exactly when he wanted to buy United, you know, when this had started, this whole kind of idea to buy United. Sort of quite quite loose on that. I suppose maybe he just felt, well, I don't want to get into the, the details just yet. Um, I kind of, but again, it wasn't like he had these kind of memories of, of watching United. United fresh to his mind and, and, and kind of wanted to tell people about it was kind of yeah which will be interesting if, if we do I assume that this is the scene setter now for perhaps a you know a bigger media uh, public uh, appearance um, when it's all been official and that's when we can really get into ratified ratified when we get into the um, the nuance and the kind of the technical stuff and, and be able to actually you know have a kind of proper dialogue with him but I, I think that's a that's a good sign right I think it is, yeah. Right, let's move it on towards the game then. Carl, how impressed do you think he would have been by what he saw? Not very. I think he's probably looked at that and gone, right, those are the same issues I've seen from Manchester United from the Jurek this season. So, uh, connection between fullback and wingers that is lacking a little bit, lack of control in central midfield, um, a lot of impotency up front, and and some nervousness at the back. there's not much new to report back about Manchester United. I'm sure Laurie, if he truly was filing from a car, might have gone, hmm, did I say this sentence a couple of weeks ago? I might try and re- write it back again. 
because the, the approach from Ten Hag hasn't changed too much and therefore the end result hasn't changed too much. This is a team that is most dangerous when they've got space on the transition to run onto. They're also very, very run- vulnerable when the opponent is counter-attacking on them. They're also really bad at set pieces. Yeah, that is becoming a bit of a concern, that, isn't it? Um, that's a bit of an understatement saying that too as well. I mean, Andy, I don't often make a big thing out of Eric Ten Hag's programme notes necessarily, but they, they seem so bullish um, at the start today. As, as we prepare for our first home game of 2024, there is a strong sense of optimism inside the club. I can feel it both here and at Carrington. We have a clear direction and high ambitions for this season and beyond. And once the deal for new investment in the club has been completed, we can all look forward to working together to carry Manchester United forward. Did you see that positivity in the performance? In the first half, yeah, I did. Yeah. I thought there were some positives there. This is a team where the go- the forwards need to score, and two of them did. And they were both fantastic goals. And I know there were lots of negatives with the match. I know Tottenham Hotspur dominated the game, especially in the second half, and they were missing five or six players as well. They're a better team than Manchester United this season. That's why they're eight points ahead of Manchester United. But... Marcus Rashford, I thought, had probably his best half, half. of the season. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he did well against Villa in the second half as well. But that was a lovely finish. And it wasn't perfect. And he faded like the rest of them did in the second half. It's good that Rasmus Hoyland is scoring again. And that finish was was fantastic. So we're seeing glimpses. We're not seeing sustained pattern of plays. We're seeing goals. We, we said in the last podcast that Tottenham games feature um, goals. It's rare that there's a draw, especially at Old Trafford. That's the first draw in in 10 months. So even though United have lost nine games so far this season in the league, the fact the team have been relatively high is because the team doesn't draw. It's win or lose. We've seen a lot, lot worse in the last month than we saw today against Tottenham Hotspur. A lot, lot worse. And I know we get all this, lads, it's only Tottenham. Well, Tottenham are better than Manchester United because Manchester United failed to beat Tottenham in the the last three matches now. Yeah, two this season and one, one last season. You remember how happy we were when Manchester United beat Spurs at home last season? It was a was great it performance. It was a great performance night last season. It was season, amazing. Maybe. It was. Two, two it nil. Was. Abso- Ten Hag absolutely done Conte Spurs. The They got in front of Spurs' back four at will Realised there was a weakness there and went, let's have a lot of long-range shots. And at half-time, United were goal up and you're going, oh, I'm kind of worried United are going to find a way to scupper this. And they didn't. They came out in the second half and absolutely dominated them. And I remember watching that game thinking, they figured it out. They hired the right person. I'm not pining for Pochettino. Anyone who was pining for Conte when it looked like only going to Solskjaer's reign was finished, you know, they really looked as if they hired a correct person and they had a clear style of play and everything was going to go on an upward trajectory. And you look at the contrast now and the the concerning, I'd say concerning, the annoyance is how badly that team, Manchester United, have regressed from that 2-0 victory. You know, they had, you, had the, you had the draw last season as well, but that you, you sort of went, oh, well, when United have players back fit, you can get back to that stage. Whereas now it's just every criticism or defence you can put for Ten Hag's season is being debunked by what Ange Postecoglou is doing at Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, they've missed out, you know, Manchester United have missed out a lot of plays through injury, so have Spurs. Oh, 
there's been loads of problems uh, with red cards and suspensions. So is Oh, the team is being banged. You know, they're lacking a goal threat. You know, one of their strikers on the form. Well, so is Spurs. And yet, there is a greater semblance of something at Tottenham right now than there is at Manchester United. And it just feels like I'm waiting. Well, it feels like everyone's waiting for something to happen at Manchester United. I'm waiting for a bus that I have no idea if it's going to arrive or when it's going to arrive. When is this thing going to be ratified? When is X player going to come back from injury? When is X player going to sort their form out? And until any of all those things happen, you can't do much. I can't. I don't find myself getting excited by the goals. I don't find myself getting disappointed by the defeats because I'm just waiting for some magical solution. It has to sort itself out, Carl, because otherwise the manager will lose his job. You cannot carry on this season with the second half being as bad as the first half. If the, if that team does not start winning matches, and I'm not on about every other game, I'm on about a run of three or four or five, like back to Tottenham last season, because that came after a really good win at Everton, Casemiro started to become really important. There was a draw against Newcastle United, the draw away at Chelsea, Casemiro again. So if he comes back and is anything like as influential as last year, that's when you start getting the runs which Ten Hag had in his first season. Those five, six, seven games, then there's a defeat. It was pretty consistent last season. There was the defeat to City. Then you go six games unbeaten. The defeat to Villa. Then you go seven games unbeaten. The defeat to Arsenal. You go six games unbeaten. This season, it's been win one, lose one, win one, lose one. We've had a couple of draws within the last month. If he doesn't write it, then I fear that he will lose his job because it simply isn't good enough. You can use a whole different number of statistics to show why Tottenham Hotspur are better than Manchester United. Tottenham have scored, on average, a goal more per game than Manchester United. They've scored 20 more goals than United. Now, if this season finishes really strongly, then fine. Ten Hag will get away with it in a a terrible look with injuries. There was all the nonsense of the takeover. Let me go back to Ajax, buy four (laughs) players, and everything's going to be sound next season. Well, you you touch on Tanag there, and one of the things he said after the uh, match in the press conference was about Aaron Wambasaka playing at left-back. And he said that was because Luke Shaw was going to be in the team. They planned all week with that in mind. And then the morning of the game, he couldn't, he wasn't fit enough, so I don't know. I don't know what exactly has happened, but and then rather than putting uh, Diego Dalla as as left back and Wambasaka as right back, that would have changed too much for him from what they'd planned to do. He put Wambasaka at left back, which is obviously an unusual position for him. And actually, I don't. I don't think he did badly. To be he fair, I think right. he was fine. But one one of the points he made was that he keeps having to make changes and that really impacts what they then do as a team and also the back line into midfield as well, he said specifically. And that's actually what Postacoglu has been able to kind of overcome this season with Spurs. I mean, you know, he's had Emerson Royale and Ben Davies as centre-backs and, and Udogi and Poro haven't always been the full-backs uh, for Spurs. And yet, clearly, they, those two are their best full-backs. They, they were really good in, in inverting. And I mean, at one point, Garnacho followed Udogi all the way to the back line. He was kind of inside. Garnacho was... dealt with him well, actually. You wouldn't have seen yeah. that type of performance from him even six months ago, I don't think. He was very, very disciplined in the first half in particular. There's a lot of sprints as well, weren't there, yeah. to get when he realised there was danger. Um, but so it just, it, that, that that whole kind of conversation is just quite interesting to me in terms of how much should a manager be able to get players to do things that he wants, no matter who they are, or is it the fact that you've got a squad that is sort of ill-equipped to have pieces fall out and, and a manager be able to put the same kind of profile of player in? So Postacockley mentioned it was about pro- profiles on Sky Sports before the game. 
uh, and said, you know, you, you, a lot of it comes down to profiles. And okay, some players aren't necessarily able to play Ange Ball to the extent of his, of his strongest level, but that doesn't mean he doesn't stop trying to play Ange Ball because the entire goal is to is to play a style of football where your fullbacks invert, you can dominate things in central midfield, you get overloads out wide, you can do loads of cutback goals. Um, and going into this game. I did a piece with Liam Thumb about how Spurs are very good at scoring cutbacks. Manchester United very bad at conceding cutbacks. They didn't concede now, a cutback. Well, Ooh, the angle that pass—that <laughs> was a square ball. No, it was such well, a square. Same, yeah. same kind of principle yeah, yeah. though, isn't it? In terms of midfield space. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it was. You, yeah. You, yeah, you like you giving us that, Ian? No. Yeah, I was just and, being a little bit mischievous. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> are you familiar with the phrase "nothing changes if nothing changes"? I am now. Um, Good right. phrase. Uh, I mean, it says does what it says on the tin. <laughs> fantastic tautology, um, and I keep looking at Ten Hag football this season, and I'm saying, okay, you've got your wide players, and they they hold a lot of width. So your fullbacks, who aren't particularly neither one who's particularly good at attacking, can attack the half spaces. You've got this. I know you I know he says they're not man marking midfield, but they are man marking in midfield, and that can be exploited two or three times, and. Look, you know, this you're weak out wide because you've got this set up between your wide players and your fullbacks. You're weak in the middle because you've got this hodgepodge of a defensive system in midfield. Also, on top of that, one of your midfielders, at least one of your midfielders at all points in time, isn't that good defensively minded. So we all know about Christian Eriksen's weaknesses in in, in defence. And lo and behold, eventually things got worth. Um, and I, I'm watching this team and going, nothing is changing. Ten Hag's set up even when all these players are back fit is flawed and last season you could do that you could you could man mark in midfield because one of your men was Casemiro and Casemiro is still one of the best defensive midfield players in the world but he keeps trying he keeps playing as if Casemiro like top level Casemiro is one of his midfield players and it's not and I'm going could you find something else he keeps we've had the conversation about um why is Marcus Rashford or all of the wide players not been performing too well? Well, because a lot of them have been playing further away from goal than they have been last season. You know, you're seeing a lot of touches from Aung Wan-Bissaka in the final third where he's inverting and going, Wan-Bissaka's not very good at this. Why are we persisting here? Um, and this is the difficult thing and I don't know... I know what Ten Hag is... I know what Ten Hag's football is, is trying to do. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't understand why Ten Hag persists with it. And I also don't understand why Ten Hag is saying something else entirely different from what I'm seeing is going on. And it's quite exasperating. I wonder what Casemiro were going to get back because when Scott McTominay had that header towards the end, I just thought prime Casemiro would have buried that into the stretch. Scott end. McTominay last week would have buried that, wouldn't yeah. he? 10 out of 10 times, Eric Ten Hag yeah. said. So this, this is obviously the 11th one in the sequence because, you know... He's uh, not thought that through, has he? No, exactly. Like I was thinking the maths <laughs> yeah, on that. Nine out of ten, but Eric. What, yeah. <laughs> but what a, what a finish that would have been, right? Because you've oh. got, and we haven't touched on this, but Ratcliffe, you know, sitting next to Ferguson in the director's box, clearly that's a, a deliberate choice. We've, we've touched on, you know, the seating arrangements at previous games. He was in his ear all, all evening, wasn't he, Ferguson? Two academy graduates combining to score a winner in Fergie time at the start of Ratcliffe time. Yeah, for the ratified Ratcliffe Reds. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Marcus Rashford had it taken off his toe and Andy, let's bring you back to the specifics of the game if we can tonight. What a hit to kick that off by Erasmus Hoyland. My goodness, he hit that hard, didn't he? Yeah, on the day that Denmark had a, had a new king. I found myself watching that. Don't know why did before you? the match. Yeah, I did. On a <laughs> right. balcony. Yeah, I, I, just, I was just watching um What, the coronation the of the Danish new king? Yeah, yeah. I watched on what it. channel? Um, What's he called? It, the, the channel's called... Erasmus. B- BBC, and that stands for British Broadcasting <laughs> oh, right, Corporation. Okay. And it Four was primetime news. <laughs> and the, the new king of Denmark, and he's there on a balcony in Copenhagen, and it looks like a really miserable Scandinavian day, and he's waving. And I'm thinking, am I really watching this? And then the other king of Denmark comes on, bang, smashes it into, into the scoreboard end, and it was lovely to see. I think... He's still lacking service, and that's partly because if you go behind him, uh, there's issues in Manchester United's midfield. I think Christian Eriksen, 20 touches in 57 minutes today. Yeah, he was absent in that first half, wasn't he? You know, yeah. and, and that wasn't Tottenham's first choice midfield either. 
Betancourt, who I watched when he was 17 or 18 in Buenos Aires, emailed a manager the day after I, I came out of the, the ground, said, you've got to buy this lad. He's absolutely brilliant. And the manager um, lost his job and uh, didn't didn't buy him. But he was brilliant when he came to Old Trafford Ridge Venice. I think he won the man of the match today. There's holes all over the team. We can pick out the positives and it's great. And you're right to say Garnacho, Kobi Mainu, thought it was probably his most difficult game today. But he's been fantastic and he's got time to learn. But if your team are not are being dominated in possession, but Rafael Varane touched the ball 47 times. In a typical game where Manchester United dominate at Old Trafford, that 47 would be 107. So if you've not got the ball, you can't create chances. You can't get the ball to your forwards. They didn't look capable of keeping the ball. Marcus Rashford, we mentioned it before, but let's talk a little bit more about how much better he looked in that first half. And we're talking about themes recurring in your match reports, Laurie. You could have written about the optimism that we could find in a link-up between Hoyland and Rashford, which I think we first started talking about in September. It never quite came to fruition, but here we are again. There was signs of promise in the link-up play between those two today. Marcus Rashford, Hoyland, Rashford! Ripples and all Trafford Nets again at last! Yeah, I mean, the first one was kind of by accident, right? Um <laughs> I don't, I don't think Rashford was intending for Hoyland to uh, thump it in like he did. Uh, but the second one was certainly more, uh, I mean, you know, AD, the producer, suggested York and Cole, which I thought was quite generous. But then I saw one of my other friends today, York and Cole, so maybe I'm the one that's not being fair. I, I, yeah, I think they're getting closer together, aren't they, in that kind of left channel. And clearly the left wing is, is Rashford's best position. And Garnacho looks good on the right. I mean, I, maybe I'm being too eager about that. but No, that front three is, is United's front yeah. three now for me. I, I don't see why... You... I don't see any reason why you change it. And I think also McTominay not um, being on the pitch at the start allowed Hoyland perhaps to get in those positions that McTominay was probably occupying at Wigan, for example, where, I mean, you know, McTominay literally took the ball off Hoyland's toes for one of his chances. And I think Hoyland should be allowed the the space perhaps to drop into that role and then be able to link with Rashford. Um, It was the first game that both of them have scored together in, in the same match the whole season, which is kind of a damning indictment of of the scoring problems that United have had. Um, but I do think that there's, yeah, there's encouragement there, isn't there? I, I was actually surprised that Rashford came off. I know you said he was tiring, Andy. I thought he looked perhaps United's biggest threat, but then obviously Garnacho puts the cross in. I don't think the first choice was to take Rashford off. I think the first choice was to take uh, Garnacho off for Anthony, from what I could see. And why did they uh, change alongside that the then, benches? Think? And I think I think they thought that Marcus maybe was tiring right. a little bit, or perhaps had a small niggle, possibly when he came off. He, he looked like he was disappointed to come off, and I mean, certainly he was playing. You know, the celebration that he did. You know, the kind of I don't know what you call it, kind of ch- chattering, sort of almost like chirping up people are speaking too much about me I guess or kind of having their opinions on me it's chirping up it's a bit early for me that a bit early it's a bit early do you remember when Maguire did his England celebration or whatever it was he's like <laughs> get your performances right when you've scored your hat trick for the third game in a row then give us sit back mm. you know I'd, I'd... but then again he's had a lot of stick it was so this, is, this is Rashford's first goal Rashford's first yeah, goal yeah, at Old Trafford yeah, this big, season yeah. it, that's right Honestly. in all competitions yeah um, in fact the, the stats were startling let me just read them out um 
Yeah, first goal at Old Trafford in all competitions this season. It's his 14th appearance uh, at home and it was his 32nd shot that he scored from this season. Good finish. Through the legs. Terrific finish. Brilliant finish. It was a great finish. Hoyland's finish was also good. I do think both those goals owe a debt to fortuitous flick-ons or fortuitous you know, knock-ons to get there. So yeah, the partnership was best, better than I've seen. But also, did did they both mean to say you've each other? You've been a Grinch there? three weeks too late, Mr. Anker. I can tell you've been ill this week. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've got a lot to get out. Um, the thing about Rashford against Spurs was he was clearly United's most dangerous attacker but also he squandered at least two or three attacking opportunities through some bad decision making in the final third now that that that's that's going to happen when you've got a good player who's been in a bad run of form there are going to be points where he hopefully gets in better run of form and, and that those decision making is just more automatic more automatic so the hope is much like with Hoyland the next game comes along and he can build on that momentum and, and make better decisions when when he's needed to. One thing that I felt in those moments is just that he's 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 trying to do something, whereas he was making the wrong decisions previously by kind of almost getting caught between two thoughts and, and doing the wrong thing and, and maybe being reserved. He's actually trying to drive at people and, and that's maybe when he's getting tackled or he's, he's not putting the right crossing, but at least it feels more proactive. Yeah, yeah. There were two or three times I think he, he definitely took a touch because he wanted to get down to the byline and then get the ball in and then perhaps he, he could have done something else, but... It will come in the same in the same way that Casemiro is coming eventually. In the same way that who else is injured? Luke Shaw is coming eventually. Well, Lisandro Martinez Mason came out tonight. Didn't Harry he? Maguire, Victor yep. Lindelof, Tyrell Malassia. Uh, I'd have missed anyone out. Ahmad. Ahmad. Yeah. He was ill, was he? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Anthony Martial. Yeah, Anthony Martial. Anthony Martial <laughs> was in the stands in between Wayne Rooney and Dimitar Berbatov. Uh, which was a sight to behold. Um, so you had like these three. He's probably United been there strikers. that long say, that he's played with both of them. <laughs> well, he, well, he's, he's definitely played, played with, Rooney, with sure. Rooney. Rooney's played with all, you know, obviously Rooney and Berbatov and Rooney and Marshall. But I almost sort of tweeted that it was, you know, United strikers passed, uh, sat in the box. And I was like, oh no, Marshall's still a, still a United player. I nearly had a kickabout um, with Dimitar Berbatov before the game today. I did an interview with him on the pitch and uh, he stepped onto the pitch. He said, I, don't ask me questions. I don't want to, pl- I don't want to talk. Oh. I want to play. <laughs> I can't step on this pitch okay. and be this close and not want to play. Um, it, so it was a positive thing. It wasn't like, don't ask me questions, I'm not in the mood. It was more... I no, not at all. To... He was employed to be a pundit for right. the day. He absolutely was expecting right. to yeah, be yeah, asked yeah. questions <laughs> and answer them with a smile on his face. Um, he had a sort of white and navy-ish, white and black scarf on. I said to him, it's not a Spurs scarf, is it? He had a skull on it. I knew it wasn't a Spurs scarf. I was just interested to see what he said. And he turned around, no, it's a Berber scarf. Oh, okay. Oh, he's a cool man. He's a and he became someone who I think started enjoying life a lot more when he stopped playing football. I think he felt the pressure okay. quite a bit when he played, but he's cool and he and he looks fantastic. Luke Littler was also yeah. there, the, the yeah. young darts player. Tommy Fury he was there. Probably, yeah, Luke could probably pass for us being the same age as. Yeah. as <laughs> I thought Diego. Del- Diogo Dalot had a decent game. Well, Lissandro Martinez, Andy, as well, seeing him back on the pitch for United is a huge boost. Great. He had one disguised yeah. pass that broke the lines. So edge of the, edge of the United box, pinged it, got to the halfway line. I, went, I missed that. He's back. I've really missed having a player who can do that. He did look a little bit... I, mm, I thought he looked... He, oh, he's blowing. He, I mean, he, he did it he one point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, 
<laughs> at one point he, he blew each nostril and you could see the <laughs> I don't know what it was it you know mucus or what it was like a, f- a proper <laughs> spray of uh, maybe he's had the little bug his, thing that's nose. been going around the squad but just the influence Andy the, the the impact of having Martinez back you know Casemiro's on the bench as well but um, it's huge that for United it could make it could actually make a real difference that it could save a terrible season. Because if Manchester United were to get to fifth, probability is that fifth place will be good enough for the Champions League. Not that this team will do anything in the Champions League, by the way, but to do well in the FA Cup as well. These are the type of players that you need. Not that Johnny Evans has played badly because his partnership with Rafael Varane has been a decent one. I'm still to be convinced by by Anana. I thought that there were two soft goals conceded today by Manchester United. But you heard the fans before Martinez came on singing... Um, Argentina he, he became a cult hero last year and I bought into it you know at the start of this season I sat down with him in San Diego for 45 minutes and he said we are capable of winning all four competitions that we are entering this year including the Champions League and I wasn't shaking my head I was nodding along with that thinking if he believes this well, then I'm not you're telling me there's a he, chance yeah he looks like he can handle himself so I'll let him talk yeah, and then uh, yeah, within two weeks, I'm thinking, what have you been taking? Because he didn't even st- he didn't even start the season well. Still himself, injured, wasn't he? he? A couple Still of injured. Well, that, well, that was from him. that was one of the details yeah. that's in my piece on the injuries um, that uh, I did over the weekend. In terms of you know the the, the figures behind it, uh, in terms of Ten Hag, basically the lowest number of players he's ever been without is four for one match, and that was the Carabao Cup against Newcastle. It's five. Uh, and they got for beat three nil as well, didn't they? They got beat. That's the most that available of squads been. Yeah, wow. yeah, madly, madly enough, yeah. yeah, and then and then, the, yeah. but most of the time it's been six, seven, eight. Obviously, it was eleven at Wigan, and and the Martinez one is kind of like a little bit of an illustration. There's been quite a few false starts, so I mean, he one of the issues with his injury was that they couldn't actually tell that it was you know re. Re, uh, he'd re-suffered the, uh, the the fracture, I suppose, or, or whatever it exactly was, because of the metal plate that was in it from the previous um, uh, surgery. So he had three different doctors look at it, and they, they couldn't quite detect. And obviously, Martinez wanted to play, and th- so that's why there was a bit of a false start on that one. But you had the same kind of Malassia and Casemiro, um, Luke, and even Shaw. Sort of Luke Shaw, Mason yeah, Mount he came back, didn't he, and then suffered an injury. So it's been this weird season of kind of false starts, and, and you know, United are looking into it that it's a continuous thing that they do but it, it's something that I think needs to be you know improved upon um, can we talk about set pieces actually because it, mm. it's become a bit of a theme of, of recent matches Carl you mentioned it before why are United suddenly susceptible so much at corners and, and free kicks the defensive scheme is pretty basic I want to say he hasn't changed too much from the, the days of closed door football where you had, uh, you know, you, you stick your, your tall players on the near post. You've got a man marking unit in the middle. Um, so it's, it's hybrid marking. And a lot of the problems happen where if you are an attacking team, if you can get United's best man marker out of position, you can open up a huge gap on the penalty area. Things are compounded by the fact that Andre Onana, while he is better than David De Gea at claiming crosses, he is not. Allison or Edison level he's not Nick Pope level in terms of jumping up and claiming crosses so it's a defensive scheme that can be manipulated with good movement in and around the six yard box and uh, a goalkeeper who is still on his way to Cameroon on a private becoming yeah. his best well, the Ivory Coast actually, to be more right? accurate um, as we, as we so, speak now probably <laughs> 
so, so that's the problem. Uh, so I, I remember when Manchester United had this really pro- had this problem bef- before Eric Ramsey turned up, and I asked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer about the set piece issue, and he said, "When Manchester United get first contact to the ball, it's fine," which was bang on and correct. Uh, and similarly, when Manchester United get first contact this season, it's fine. But when they don't, uh, and someone can pull things out of position, things get worse, and, and things are exacerbated when your centre-back is Johnny Evans compared to someone like Harry Maguire, who is a lot better in the air at, in 2023, 2024. And, and Laurie, Eric Ramsey's not actually the set-piece coach anymore either, is he? I, I don't know whether his responsibility still stands over that, but his role, I mean, I've just checked his LinkedIn, his, his first-team coach at Manchester United, that's a change. So is he the one that's responsible for this still, do you know? Or do we know the answer to that? Why, why don't you ask him yourself? You live around the corner for <laughs> He always runs off when I try and chase He's after him. He's got a knock on his door. He's got his hands Can full as well, you know, something? as a pram and a dog. He's quite athletic, you know. isn't he? Yeah, he's quite, he's quite well. He went, I think he went to Loughborough, didn't he? Uh, so he knows his physical education. He can run well um, with a pram and a dog but... anyway, I've tried. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I am joking. I haven't tried running after him down the street. But, no. yeah, but you are joking. I'm going to come and have a look and see for myself. Um, I have seen him with a pram and a dog, which I think is quite a talent to be able to control those two things at once. But anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. Well, so, so surely if you can do that, you can tell you know United players to stand in certain configurations. And, and so it is still his responsibility, the right then, is it? I, I think he is. I think he is still. That, that's one one of his uh, roles. Yeah, but but he's definitely. I think even under Solskjaer, maybe he became a first team coach rather than like you are just the set piece guys. Because we had that this thing with Aston Villa, didn't we? Austin, Austin McPhee. How can you forget Austin McPhee? He doesn't just write children's books, yeah. he organises <laughs> Aston Villa's set pieces as well. What a guy. And he was in a few Westerns a few years ago as well. But yeah. When they won 1 0 under Dean Smith at Old Trafford, it was, it was like the Battle of Ramsey versus McPhee because they both kind of just joined as like their set piece, you know, gurus. And McPhee's kind of had a bit more success, hasn't he? Because he's, I guess, more recognisable and, you know, Villa seemed to be quite good at set pieces whereas Ramsey's job from Chelsea was a youth coach he was never specifically set pieces I think it's moved on from that point where he was um, yeah, purely set pieces to, to something overarching but yeah I think it is still his responsibility that being said it obviously takes players to to do the jobs, it, it does slightly. It did slightly confuse me that Mainu seemed to be the one on both uh, the goal and then the Romero header against the bar. Uh, no, it was Juan Bissaka for the goal, wasn't it? But wasn't Mainu uh, sort of marking Richarlison a little Mainu bit? Well? Mainu gets maybe they were Mainu's underneath the ball when the ball is delivered into Richarlison. So Mainu would be. Should have it been looked part. to me like he was supposed to be, yeah, Mainu supposed to be part. part. And I'm like thinking, is Mainu really scheme? So yes, yeah, so that's yeah. it. But it, it felt like he was kind of quite a pivotal player in that defensive setup. And I was like thinking, should he really be? Like he's not so definitely for the Romero header against the bar, which he should have scored. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that that I don't know. That'd be interesting to know what was the idea behind that. And it, it, I mean, Spurs just basically. You know, Poro was just whipping the ball into the six-yard box. Every single there wasn't anything different to it, but Onana wasn't moving off his line really, and United were just under pressure. It became a bit better in second half, didn't it? Especially when Matsumane came on, he, he cleared one with his head. Um, so I, I guess United as a team overall weren't the tallest, but um, yeah, I, I, surely there should be a better. I would probably think that Onana should come and try and punch a couple of them just to kind of put it in Spurs' minds that they can't just have a free run at it. Okay, well, let's begin to wrap this up then. We've got three more podcasts until Manchester United play again because they're now on a two-week break 
uh, with the Premier League sort of split weekend, winter break, uh, Manchester United have no match next weekend. And obviously we're yet to find out um, whether that stand will be erected at Eastleigh or will need to even be arrest- erected at Eastleigh. Somebody said to me that they might have to move stadiums if it is Eastleigh. It's not equipped for... Who told you that? Well, Luke on security at Old Trafford and he knows his stuff. Right, okay. How would, how would Luke know whether Eastleigh can hold... I, look, I like him a lot, but there's no way. I, I you were speculating last got, week listen. whether the car park would be safe enough or not <laughs> to erect a temporary stand, having never been there in your life. So, I, I, I take sure. that, and I take Luke's opinions on snooker or pool or whatever he does. Yeah. But I'm not having Luke, who goes on the monkey bus to away matches, telling me what Eastley's ground can and cannot stage. Watch them now move it. Like, yeah. Well, they've got a win for totally I'll be, I'll be buzzing they've if got, they They've got to beat Newport County been... first, to be fair. Yeah, they've got to so, beat them. You know. yeah. Well, where'd they move it to? Southampton's the nearest ground, because it's right by Southampton uh, Airport. can talk about airports <laughs> as well if you want, lads. I think Eastley would be buzzing off that, because obviously it's a much bigger payday, but I think if, if a club is allowed to stage the game, then... They're, they're fully encouraged to do I something. got in trouble off one of our colleagues who is a, a very keen listener to Talk the Devils as well, Simon Peach, who works for the Press Association uh, covering Manchester United. He grew up in Eastleigh and he said, you're the only person, meaning me, uh, who's ever tried to make it sound more posh by calling it Eastleigh, <laughs> which um, I didn't realise I was doing until now. So Eastleigh residents, I apologise. I will refer to it as Eastleigh moving <laughs> forward. And if they... Do beat Newport County. I'm going to be saying Eastleigh a lot, so I'll make sure I get it right. Simon also said, Andy, and you'll love this, that the estate near the ground where he grew up is named after football grounds around the country. So he actually grew up. Oh, yes. Um, oh, wow. On Trafford Grove, was it called? Something like that. He'll correct me next time oh, okay. I see him now. I'm but it's like that. Roker Lane, um, Anfield Summit, and Goodison, whatever. So, um, yeah, that's a, maybe a note for you to explore if you end up getting a, a press pass. Yeah, I do want, to, I, I want it to be Eastley because I've been to Newport and that's my only reason. Yeah. Can you imagine Andy with a map of that particular estate walking around? Like just, <laughs> it's like a combination of two of his favourite things. Better make sure my wife's not listening to this, but I bumped into an ex-girlfriend years ago and she said, do you still take photos of empty fourth division football stadiums? <laughs> Was that a turn on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do actually. Anyway, nice to see you. See you in another 10 years. Why? Right, well, we better leave it there then before uh, Andy descends into any other uh, old stories from meeting exes. But we've enjoyed your company, as always, on Talk of the Devils. Remember, we are up for that award that I keep mentioning, the best team podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards. We'd love your support. The details of how to vote are out there. Have a look or message one of us if you want to support us. It would be greatly appreciated. As always, you can sign up to The Athletic. There's a special podcast price on at the moment of $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. And the bit I always forget to say is you can email us if you've got a question or a message for us. You can go to uh, your email account and email devilspod <laughs> at theathletic.com. And, I like how that was the first step. And, <laughs> and before we finish, Andy Mitten, someone has got in contact with you because if you remember on the last podcast, we were trying to help Andy find his wallet at Lisbon Airport, lost and found, and we have a development. It's not just someone, it's a listener to this podcast. It's only because of this podcast. Neville Wall 
who lives in Lisbon, is a Manchester United fan, got in touch with me last week to say he was going through Lisbon Airport and did he want me to check in lost and found? And of course I said yes. He went to the office and it was closed. He said, I'll check again on Sunday. So this is while the game was going on. So this isn't like Marcus, our <laughs> other special correspondent, just winding Marcus, you up. This is someone actually no. being helpful. I was a bit gutted with Marcus because I thought, like, there's a happy ending to this. He did offer to go again next time he was there and go to Lost and Found, but this this trumps it. Well, Neville's gone there and the wallet's there. Oh, Good old Neville. I am so relieved because there's some <laughs> cards in that which would have been an absolute nightmare post-Brexit to get replenished. So he sorted it out. Um he actually knows Marcus, the other lad. They both play for a football team called the Lisbon Casuals, who are the oldest amateur football club oh, in Portugal. And he and um, he went for he went for me, and he said his first game was um, two 0 away to Oxford in November '86, which was Fergie's first game. And I appreciate what Neville has done massively, and I punched the air when he told me that my wallet had been found and. And he'd located it. So that's thanks to a listener of this podcast. And I said, um, Ian, you're going to send him 100 quid for keeping money mate, sweet. <laughs> I, I thought you said it was a year's subscription yeah. to United We Stand, actually, from I think, memory. I think that's the least I can sort out, isn't it? Seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Class that. Neville what, Neville the, is the a ready finds wallets. It is the power of the podcast. We had two people in Lisbon Airport, one Fantastic. on a wind-up and one who was serious about his business and has, has found my wallet. And there's only one bad person in this, and that's me, a complete idiot, for losing my wallet. Not once, but twice in the same place. After all this, you can't lose it a third time. You have to promise us that. I know. But yeah, let's wrap it up then. Andy, Laurie, Carl, thank you so much for being with us. As always, we'll be back later on in the week uh, on Talk the Devils. But thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. The Athletic.